In World War II, Private John Blanchard, he developed an unlikely pen pal relationship with a woman he had never met before. So for over a year, almost a year and a half, they would exchange letters back and forth, and each letter caused them to have a romantic connection more and more and more. So Private Blanchard did what any guy would do. He asked her for a picture, right? And she decided, she decided that if he really cared about who she was, that he didn't need a picture. Can the ladies in the house say amen to that, right? It's not about looks, huh? So she arranged a special meeting for them when he returned from Europe at Grand Central Station in New York. And she said this, at 7 p.m., you will see me. You will know who I am because there will be a red rose on my lapel. He shows up at 7 p.m. at Grand Central Station, and he's looking, and he's looking around, and he saw a babe. I mean, he saw a lady who was attractive, had a pale green suit on, and had all of the features that, that he would prefer. I'm not going to name what those are. <laughs> Each their own. But he was, he was really, really attracted to her. He was really, really excited. Could this be the one? But as she came closer, she had no red rose on her lapel. But she did look at him. And she kind of said in a seductive way, going somewhere, sailor? So he was torn between this woman he was completely attracted to and this other person that he didn't know what she looked like yet. And then out of the corner of his eyes... He caught the eye of this middle-aged lady. Of course, he was a young guy, right? Middle-aged lady with a rose on her lapel. And she had graying hair, and she wasn't the type of person that he imagined having a romantic relationship with. So he's torn. Which way should I go? Who should I go? And so he decided the honorable thing to do was to go greet the woman who his heart was connected to, even though he wasn't physically attracted to her. So he went up and he saluted her and said, Private John Blanchard, you must be Mrs. Smith or Miss Smith, whatever her name was. And she said, yeah. She said, no, I'm not. She said, I don't know what this is all about, but there is a lady in a green pale suit who begged me to wear this lapel. And she said that if you went and said hello to her, to meet her across the street at that big restaurant. That's a cool story, isn't it, huh? Uh, some people have said that's the, the, the greatest romance story that has been told, especially in modern times. Well, there's a lot that's going on in that story, but here's the cool part about it. How, how many of you know that love is something that occurs when you show up? If you're not around you're not really loving someone. Now, I know there's exceptions to that in, in, in the case of war and, and other, other things, so don't, don't let that rest too heavily on you. But you know this is that um, when you were dating someone or maybe some of you are dating now, those of you who are single, and, and you, you just hope that person shows up for coffee or you hope that parent shows up for the holiday or you hope that there is some kind of connection Love shows up. One of the great things about our story here is we have a God who showed up for us. 
As we talk about the different ways that we experience love through Christ, we're going to look at Mark chapter 16. If you're taking notes today, you may have been handed one of these reviews, and there's a place for you to take, take notes. Here's my first observation from Mark 16 today, is this, is that love showed up. And then one of the reasons we're here on Resurrection Sunday, we're here on Easter Sunday, we're, we've shown up today because God showed up for us. And, and the story is that God didn't just wait for us to get to heaven to reveal himself to us. God came and he, he took on humanity and flesh and he became a human being. And, and during Advent and around Christmas, you know, we celebrate that more particularly. And now today we see the outcome of the incarnation. And that is the resurrection of God. God, he showed up. In his humanity, and he came to us. And then now we look at the story that Pastor Deborah just read out of Mark 16 is now that, that time between his death and the recognition of his resurrection, it was, it was a very hard time on his followers. But, but Jesus had some special friends who showed up for him because he had shown up for them. Look at again at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, we already read this, but I want to reemphasize it. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, this Easter Sunday morning, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? I love the story of friendship here. Because you're only a friend, you only have friends if you show yourself to be friendly. And obviously Jesus had shown great friendship to these ladies. And he had shown friendship to people who at that time were marginalized in society and not considered important and not considered to have a voice and not considered to be full participants in society. And Jesus in his sovereignty, the first people who discovered the empty tomb was ladies who he had developed an appropriate godly friendship with. See, this was the God they were showing up for because he had shown up for them. The God who went to weddings. Isn't that amazing? I don't even go to weddings. That's not true. I go. And as I've aged, I, I, I like him better. The God who cooked and served meals, that's actually in the Bible. That's not just in there. You know, Jesus actually cooked fish over a fire for his disciples after the resurrection. So likely he did the same before the resurrection. The God who washed their feet. Isn't that the story? We have a God who washes our feet. Gods aren't supposed to do that. Gods are supposed to be served, not to be the servant. The God who laughed. I can't wait to see the laugh of Jesus. I know in middle age art and in some of the movies depicted about Jesus in the 60s and 70s, he was always serious. And he had a British accent too. It's really interesting. <laughs> But I think of Jesus as someone who laughs, who, who has joy in life. And let's not forget that Jesus wept. He had real emotions. Jesus, 
as deified was not this robot or this, this person who didn't feel the grief and the pain and the sorrow. And so he understands the sorrow many of you are carrying with you. And I know that sometimes Easter is tough because everything seems to be idealistic and you're carrying around the pain. You're missing someone today. Maybe it's marking a tough day. Jesus understands. Um, Jesus was the God who suffered pain. And we, we don't like to talk about that part. Jesus voluntarily submitted to a gruesome execution. He kept showing up for us. And I want you to know this, is that the God who loves you is going to, going to keep showing up in your life. Even if you resist him, even if you push him away, even if you only think about him occasionally, he keeps showing up, showing up, showing up, not because you did anything to deserve that. It's because he loves you in the essence of who you are. You cannot push away God forever. He's going to keep showing up in your life over and over and over again. When I was an associate pastor, we were having a children's musical, probably around Christmas if I remember correctly, and all of the little kids were on this choir riser, Singing away, and during one of the songs, the, the senior pastor said, Aaron, come here. He said, little Matthew is hiding behind the risers because he's peed in his pants. You are cruel, you people in the third row. You're laughing at a small child who had a traumatic experience. Tracy's a staff member, so that was an easy joke I could do. So my pastor went on to say, after this song, I'm going to grab the mic. I'm going to pray. You go back there, grab the kid, get him off the stage. This was like my 007 moment, right? <laughs> so he did, and that's what we did. I went back there and I grabbed the child, but right as I was grabbing him from the other side, his dad showed up too. So we showed up together, and so his dad grabbed him, and I helped get him off the stage, and his peers, nor the congregation, not many people saw this. Here it was, a child just, something like that's happened to all of us somewhere along the line. But this child um, was spared embarrassment. Why? Because a pastor cared for him to see what was going on. And because a dad loved him to keep his eyes on him. And they met together. They met together and demonstrated love for this little boy. Here's my second point today about God's love. Love notices, and it noticed. God is not the deist, as many of the founders of our nation thought, of the distant God who made the clock and is just watching it go, and we're down here on earth just trying to survive until heaven comes. No, God is a God who gets involved many times in the things of our life. Not all the time he's sovereign, but much of the time God gets involved in our story and he notices our pain and he notices the particulars about us and he notices when we need help. And because God notices us, those same characteristics are in his followers. And so as we go back to the narrative today in verse 4, we see that his friend says, looking up, they observed... That's a key phrase there. They observed that the stone, which is very large, 
had been rolled away. Love noticed here. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were amazed and alarmed. Here it was. The friends of Jesus took enough time to notice something different. And it, taught, it speaks to who we are as people of faith. We're people of care. We notice the condition of our community. We notice the condition of our friends. We notice the condition of our family. We notice things that maybe other people overlook. We reflect who God is. God noticed the condition of mankind and he said, it's time for my intervention. It's time for me to show them another way. It's time for me to come and be the substitute for their sin. It's time for me to uh, be the sacrifice that they can't make for themselves. That's what a leader does for us sometimes. A leader does things for us that we're not ready to do for ourselves. And Jesus is the ultimate leader. He came and he became the sacrifice for us. He noticed our condition. He noticed who we were. You know, in life, we always root for the underdog, don't we? We love it when somebody comes back, when somebody makes a comeback. I love history, and so I think about General MacArthur as he left the Philippines, and he said, I will return, and he did. Joe Namath made an outlandish, outlandish prediction when he <coughs> excuse me, predicted that he would win Super Bowl III over the vaunted, powerful Baltimore Colts. And then the Black Panther vowed to return to Wakanda. <laughs> and I will not ruin the rest of the movie in case you didn't see it. So whether he returned to Wakanda or not, you'll just have to find out yourself. But we love it when people beat the odds, and that's why the last point, you may have guessed it, is love has won. Love has won. This is what Jesus said in verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He's not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Now, here's a key phrase. Just as he told you. He, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't an afterthought. This wasn't a course correction from the foundations of the world. From the beginning, as soon as Adam and Eve fell, God prophesied and he spoke forth his will. And he said, yes, there's going to be an enemy in this world. The serpent's going to come. And the serpent's going to bruise your heel. The, the, ser the serpent is going to uh, bruise your heel. And he's going to cause affliction. He's going to cause sickness and sin. He's going to cause darkness. He's going to cause bad habits and addictions are going to come into your life. But there is one, the Son of Man, who is going to crush the serpent's head. You see, from the beginning, Jesus was victorious. From the beginning, Jesus had a, a plan, the divine trinity has said from the beginning that darkness will not always prevail. Darkness will not always win. Darkness will not have the last word and the last day. And we are people of the resurrection. Since that first Easter morning, we've been celebrating the resurrection and we've seen the power of the resurrection come into the world. And it's coming with increasing power and authority and awareness. We are seeing God establish himself. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate winner. Romans chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, because we know that Christ 
having been raised from the dead, will not die again. That's good news, isn't it? And I want to tell you, Christianity will not, will not be marginalized forever, will not be squashed out, will not be eliminated because Christianity is not a thought process. Christianity is a power that came to life when Jesus came out of the grave. And and the forces of hell itself cannot, cannot overcome the forces of Christ and what he's done. And for in light of the fact, verse 10, that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in the light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. You see, the reason we say today that love has won is because we know this, is that the victory has already happened. It's not going to happen in the future. It's not going to happen someday. The victory already happened on resurrection morning. And we're seeing more of the victory unfold day after day, life after life. Every time we exhibit the characteristics of Christ and live out his resurrection power, we see more and more of his glory. See, here's the deal, guys. On that time between Good Friday and Easter morning, death appeared to be victorious. Satan had seemed to succeed. Hope was perceived as gone. Promise was apparently stifled. The story of Jesus had in all all evaluation ended. But darkness had prevailed for an hour. Violence and death had the day that one day. But on resurrection morning, a new day dawned. No longer was death victorious. No longer was the grave final. No longer would darkness prevail. Jesus won. Jesus was victorious. Jesus conquered. And because of that, we can say with definitive uh, authority today that love has already won. And we declare that. Amen. I want to ask our ushers at this time to begin to position themselves because we're going to have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper together before we conclude this service. And most Easter's I share with you one of my favorite quotes that a, a theologian of the 20th century came up with, and it's this. It is love that believes the resurrection. You know, I think that there's great reasons to believe in the resurrection intellectually. But probably you've heard those. And if not, we have Alpha coming this summer and we can have other ways for you to see the factual reasons why the resurrection occurred. And sometimes the resurrection kind of becomes this this family rite of passage. And we feel this on Easter. It's like you know, we're Joneses, or we're Thompsons, or, you know, or we're Martinez's, and we, we, we believe in the resurrection. So we kind of adopt what our family believes. But Jesus wants to take it further, further than just something that's in your mind or something that's part of your tradition. Jesus wants you to believe the resurrection. He wants you to believe the resurrection because of the love that's in your heart. And guess how that happens? Only by God. Only by his spirit. It's only his Holy Spirit that can make us believe the resurrection and the love it takes to believe that resurrection. So today, every single one of us will have a time to either affirm for the first time or to reaffirm for those of us who are walking with Christ, our belief in Christ, our belief in his plan for this world, our belief in eternity, 
our belief that Christ is supreme over any other God, any other leader, any other uh, person of influence, because he's not just a person. Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. He's unique. There's no one else like him. 